All right, good evening, everybody. Thank you for joining us tonight at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett. This is my wife, Sherry. And we'll be continuing our Bible study tonight on the true nature of God. Uh, we've been studying this. This is, I think, our week, our week seven, uh, part seven. Anyway, we'll be in chapter, uh, we'll be continuing in chapter four tonight on the God's gift of eternal life. And then we'll be talking about kind of a heavier subject tonight than uh, we've had in the times past. We're going to be talking about the security of your salvation. And we'll get into that in just a moment. Uh, just so you know, we have all of our Bible studies archived in a couple of different places. Uh, first, the easiest place is actually on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. Uh, that's the easiest place. And uh, you can actually get to, to our Bible studies in a couple of number of places. The easiest probably is just going to our Bible classes page, page, and then I'm not, not Bible classes page. That's good too. But our Bible studies page, and scroll down just a little bit, you'll see all three of our different Bible studies that we've had. They group together, and you just click on the image for uh, the true nature of God, and all the Bible studies will come up. You can also follow us on our YouTube channel, uh, Lighthouse Discipleship Center, and all of our our Bible studies are grouped together by playlists. And then those are video uh, archives, but we also have uh, some uh, audio. It's audio only. You can go, we have a uh, podcast at podbean.com. And uh, also we are on Spotify. If you can look us up on Spotify. That's new as of yesterday. And so uh, just, you, know, you can find us up by uh, searching us at Lighthouse Discipleship. All of these uh, uh, social medias are on our website at the very top. You can get all of those. Anyway, we have multiple platforms. I can even, the list goes on. We're, we're just out there uh, for both audio and visual, visual uh, recordings of all of our Sunday morning services as well as our Bible studies. Well, enough advertisements and whatnot, so let's go ahead and get into our Bible study tonight. Sherry will narrate. She'll read for us tonight, and then we'll talk about it. So again... Um, you might want to have your Bibles ready. We'll be going to Hebrews chapter 6 in just a moment. And then, uh, uh, and then uh, we're going to be studying the true nature of God, talking about the security of the believer. So anyway. Okay. I don't teach, I don't teach that people can live in sin, do anything they want to, and retain salvation. One of the problems we have in trying to understand things is that we go to extremes. People ask, God, are those who teach once saved, always saved, correct? Or are the ones who teach saved, lost, saved, lost, correct? Who's right? I studied for a good five years on this issue. I spent hours and hours studying and praying and asking God which one was right. I didn't get anywhere because in the end, I could teach and defend either position. Yet I know they couldn't both be right. Finally, one day, the Lord spoke to me and said, Neither one of them is right. I would never have thought of that. I was always giving God a multiple choice test. I would basically say, God, which one is right? Is it A, once saved, always saved, or B, saved, lost, saved, lost? I never gave him the choice of C, none of the above. One of our big problems is that we ask God dumb questions. Take Peter, for example. God didn't ask Peter to get out of the boat and walk on the water. Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me come to you on the water. Matthew 14, 28, and 29. 
What was Jesus going to say? No, Peter, it's not me. Don't come. How was Jesus going to answer that question? He had to say come because that was the answer Peter asked for in his question. Peter didn't say, God, am I to a place spiritually where I should be out there on the water too? If he had said that, Jesus might have answered him differently. But he answered Peter's question according to the way he asked it. Another example of asking the wrong question involves a good friend of mine named John. He prayed about college for a long time and received a scholarship to Oklahoma Baptist University. He felt totally confident God told him to go to that school. Then, not long after he had been attending there, God told him to leave and go to Seagoville, Texas, where I was pastoring a church and just sit under the ministry and gain some maturity. John really had trouble with that. He said, God, this isn't right. I've got a full scholarship. I've made all these plans. I've prayed. I know you told me to come here. Now, six weeks after I arrive, you're telling me to leave the scholarship, leave everything and go down there to nowhere? Seagoville's not ex actually the end of the world, but you could see it from there. <laughs> so my friend wrestled with that for three or four months, and finally one day when he was praying, he said, God, if this is really you, why didn't you tell me before I came? God said, John, out of the two choices you gave me, Berkeley or OBU, OBU was the best of the two. But if you had asked me where I really wanted you to go, I would have told you. Sometimes we don't always give God enough options when we pray or we ask the wrong questions. So I was praying, God, which is right, once saved, always saved, or saved, lost, saved, lost. He said, neither. Then I began to study the scriptures for myself. I could go into a lot more detail, but I'll give a brief discussion of the answer here. Okay. We'll pause right there just for a moment. We'll get into the topic in the next section right here. So I didn't realize there was a section break. Uh, anyway, I don't have a lot to say here. We're going to, we, you know, so we're comparing two schools of thought. And we're going to find a balance between those in just a moment. You know, there's two schools of thought. There's the security of your salvation. Once save, always save. Or save, loss, save, loss, save, loss. Those have been the two options. And, and I grew up with those two options. And uh, 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 the option that I grew up with the most was uh, save, loss, save, loss was more, more prominent. And so, you know, just going back to Andrew's dialogue here, you know, sometimes we only give God two options. Or we only give God three options. And sometimes it's none of the above. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, uh, there was one time when Joshua asked for the... the the angel of the Lord, are you with us or for us? Are you with us or against us? And the angel said neither, you know. And and so uh, that wasn't the answer he's looking for, um, you know. But at the same point in time, you know, there was a time where we were in 2001, I think it was, and we felt God calling us to a new place. Uh, nothing wrong with where we were at. We were happy. Uh, things were going well, but we did feel God nudging us in a new direction. And, and so... We even got went to AAA, got a U.S. map, and we said, Lord, where do you want us to go? But please, please, not Southern California. Now, nothing wrong with Southern California, this fact, our family's here. We love our family, and that was the only reason we wanted to come here. But outside of our family, we had nothing. We didn't want anything to do with Southern California. We still don't. Uh, we don't like California, but I know a lot of people do, and I'm not going to go into politics of why we don't want to be here. But at the same point in time, 
You know, we only we, we gave God we gave God forty nine options. <laughs> we just we just said please please not to California and yet that's where God had us come. And so I don't think He had us come because that was not where we wanted to come. God had a plan, and when we ask Him, He'll show us. Uh, but and, and sometimes you know here is a theological question, and sometimes we only give God two options: He's either this school of thought or this school of thought. And sometimes we have to we have you know. We have to realize sometimes it's not none of the above. Sometimes we get our religious thinking in the way because that's all we know. We only know option A, option B when it's actually both are wrong, you know. And so uh, it's just a uh, anyway. That's just a little. That's not our major point that we're getting into here. But it's just uh, we need to be a little open-minded sometimes when we approach God with some questions because uh, sometimes our religious minds get in the way and we only see it one or two different ways and sometimes if we just come God with a clean slate uh, he'll answer those questions and so anyway you have anything you want to piggyback on I thought I did uh, that piggybacked off your message this morning but I don't have it at the tip of my tongue so I guess we'll keep going so again uh, before we get into reading this because this is going to get a little heavy uh, but it's just a uh, uh, we're comparing two options. Once saved, always saved, or uh, saved, lost, saved, lost. And we're going to find out that there's a balance between the two. And uh, so both are not both are not completely wrong, and both are not completely right. Uh, and so, uh, and that that might go against some of your religious thinking or upbringing, and that's where this gets heavy. And so, I'm not here to step on toes. I'm here to teach the truth as I know it and as, as I see it. And I, and I agree with Andrew for the most part on most of what we're going to read here. So it's a little heavier, so uh, just put your seatbelts on and, and bear with us and let us get our thought out, and then we'll, we'll kind of go to some conclusions. So. All right, finding the balance. I believe that both teachings have a truth. Once our spirits have been born again, they are eternally redeemed. Our spirits have been sanctified, perfected forever, and cannot sin. Therefore, a sin does not send someone to hell. Sin does not violate or invalidate our salvation. We do, not, we do not fall from grace in the sense that we commit what religion calls an unpardonable sin, lose our salvation, and have to pray back through and be born again once more. The Bible doesn't teach being born again again. It teaches being born again once. There is only one new birth. A person can't be born again multiple times. The scripture makes this crystal clear. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to open shame. Hebrews 6, 4-6. These verses are saying that if someone does reject salvation, it's impossible to renew it again. There is no such thing as being born again, becoming lost, and being born again once more. The terminology may vary, but some people use the phrase pray through when they talk about their salvation. They are born again, but they believe they've fallen from God's grace and feel if they were to die in that condition, they would go to hell. So they pray through until they feel they can get their salvation back. 
I hope you love me anyway for saying it, but that is bondage. This is a hearsay. How do you say that? This is hearsay. Hearsay that has been that has condemned a lot of people and is not of God. Scripture makes it clear we do not get saved, lost, and saved again. On the other hand, I don't believe that once we're saved, we're always saved without any other possibility. I believe it is possible to be saved and then lost, but not saved, lost, and saved again. The reason I believe this is that it is not a sin that damns us to hell. If it was, which sin would cause us to lose our salvation? Again, most people would say the bad ones. But if sin made us lose our salvation, any sin, even overeating or gossip, would cost us our salvation, and it would be impossible to ever regain it. Sin does not make us lose our salvation. The answer that harmonizes both sides is the free will of man. You were not forced to get saved. You got saved of your own free will. And God doesn't force you to stay saved. Even though you can't sin your salvation away, you can reject your salvation by an act of your own free will. You can willfully reject salvation and become reprobate. Many scriptures verify this. One of the scriptures is in Hebrews 6 where it says for those who have done certain things, if they fall away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. I always heard this taught as a hypothetical case and that renewing them again to repentance couldn't actually happen because Jesus would have to die for them again. But that's not what this passage is talking about. It is talking about a person who falls away. They must have had something to fall away from. You can't lose something you didn't have to begin with. The book of Hebrews describes people who have become reprobate or enemies of the faith. For if we sin willfully after that, we have received the knowledge of the truth. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified, an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace? Hebrews 10, 26-29 this is addressing people who sin willfully after they've received the knowledge of the truth, but also have trodden underfoot the Son of God, counting the blood of the covenant an unholy thing. This would have to be people who have completely turned against Jesus and salvation. These are not Christians who have simply fallen into sin. Okay, thank you. So I was doing the I'm hoping he can answer some of the questions here that I have. Uh, I want to make sure we address, and he does, so he gets to it. So, um, anyway, so again, this is a little heavy subject tonight uh, about talking about the security of the believer, because there's two usually main camps. One believes once saved, always saved, and the other one believes you, you, you're born again, you can lose your salvation, you're born again, and then you can get your salvation back, and you're saved, lost, saved, lost, saved, lost. And both camps have an element of truth in them, as Andrew says. But they're the both also have, uh, they're both not completely correct as well. And it can't be, it's, you know, in, in, one sense, in one sense it sounds like it's either or. 
and it's not. It's actually uh, 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 there's a balance between these two schools of thought. So um, anyway, let me just kind of go to this a little slowly. Uh, I, I back up a little bit. Uh, you know, um, first of all, he says sin does not violate or invalidate our salvation. We do not fall from grace in the sense that we commit what religion calls uh, unpardonable sin, lose our salvation, have to uh, pray back through and whatnot. So, you know, one, one, you know, this is a heavy subject, but in some ways it's important. Because we have ministered to people in the past where who they thought they committed un unpardonable sin. They were taught in such a way that somehow they were convinced they've lost their salvation. And we're going to get into some uh, specifics of, you know, he brings up the, uh, about being coming a reprobate. We're going to talk about that a little more specifically in just a moment. But if <clears throat> when we minister to some of these people who think they committed a unbarred sin, it's been hard to minister to them because no matter what you tell them, they think they're, they're just convinced that they, uh, they, they can't be born again. And that's a horrible place to be. And, uh, you know, if that's where you are, I mean, if that's what you believe, and if that, if that were true, then what would be the point for anything? Because there's, there's no point. You're, you're lost. You know, and, but that's not true. That is such bondage and heresy, uh, or heresy, as, as Andrew was saying. You know, it, it's wrong. And so, uh, uh, you know, Christ died once. And we, it's not that you get born again, saved, born again, saved. There's no scripture for that. There's no, uh, there's no presence for that, you know. And so, at the same point in time, we're not advocating sin. <laughs> we're advocating grace. But grace will teach you to deny ungodliness. Grace will teach you not to sin. Uh, grace isn't a license to sin. Grace is a license from sin. And so, I don't have a license from sin. I have, that might be a funny way of putting it. But it's just a... Um, let me move forward here. These verses are saying that if someone does reject salvation, it's impossible for them to renew it again. There is no such thing as being born again, being lost, and being born again, born again. And that, that's what I, just, I was just referring to. You know, But it does say here, and we're going to get into this, you can't reject your salvation. You can't lose it like you lose a set of keys. Uh, you know, whoops, where did it go? Where did I place that salvation? You can't lose it in that way. You know, it's not like it just slips through your fingers. We're going to get into some specifics here in just a moment. But a reprobate is someone who's, it's a mature Christian. It's a mature Christian, that's key. And we'll get into that in just a moment. Who makes a, a willful decision, a, a willful rejection, which is a decision, that they, they no longer want to be saved. And someone who makes it, and someone who makes that willful decision can't be born again. That's that's deep, and that can be very heavy. That's why there's some categories. I think there's five or six things Landry will mention in just a moment. Uh, uh, that and all five or six of these have to be true for someone to be called a reprobate. Now I've met some unbelievers before. I've met people who are not saved. But I have yet met one in my life that I can personally say that person a reprobate. I have yet to make so I don't think this is common. Let me just preface some of this by saying that if you still have a desire for God, if sin even bothers you, 
And I get, you know, sometimes we get into habitual sins and whatnot, and, uh, and it becomes addictive. And, you know, we've had, I've had people accuse me, well, you sin because you wanted to. Every sin is desirable. <laughs> you know, if, if it wasn't desirable, none of us would never sin. But there's an addiction to it. There's a flesh. There's a, there's a snare to it. <clears throat> and uh, at the same point in time, I know what I had addictions before, and I've, I've met other people with addictions. The aftermath, you know, it's kind of like the alcoholic when they have the hangover in the morning. They, re, they regret what they did the night before. But then the, the time that we're having it, yeah, was it fun? Yeah, absolutely. You know? And you can't control sin by the flesh. The Bible says walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. But, you know, when, uh, if sin even bothers you, like this, I've met some people who thought they committed an unpardonable sin and it bothered them. Someone who's reprobate, and we'll get into this in just a moment, they won't, they would, it would never bother them. They won't, their conscience has been so seared, it wouldn't even bother them. They, 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 they have such a hatred towards God. It wouldn't bother them this, that they sinned. It wouldn't bother them that they, that they're quite, they wouldn't even be questioning whether they're saved or not. They would, a reprobate would have made a, such a conscious decision. I don't want anything to do with God. And the, and the fact that you your conscience is bothering you tells me you have not a reprobate. <laughs> that, 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 that's, that's, and that, we'll get into that a little bit in just a moment. Uh, anything you want to add so far? I'll, I'll probably have some more. But... Uh, no. Um, and, and a lot of this, again, if you hear Dave's heart, if you hear Andrew's heart and, and mine, a lot of this confusion that people have is the frustration that uh, walking out your your salvation is and and Dave's taught on this um, where yes we walk our walk out our salvation but it's God that is at work in us but you you also need to understand if any of you is struggling with this Dave and I have been in your shoes, so don't, if you need to reach out for prayer or more questions, please do so. Um, but when you are in the midst of going through something, whether it be something physical, like you need healing, uh, something tragic in your life, something, an issue in your family, whatever it might be, when we struggle with doubt and fear and anger and a whole slew of a lot of things, our, our minds can get pretty messed up in our thinking because we are not thinking straight. And when you do have a relationship with God and you are seeking him first, as it says in Matthew 6, and again in Isaiah, I think it's 26, 3. So Matthew 6, 33, Isaiah 26, 3. One of them says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And it's talking about the, the things in life that you need, the roof over your head, food on your table, clothing on your, you know, all of the things you need to physically live, God says that he will supply it if we seek him first. And in Isaiah, 
uh, 26.3, it says that he, God, will keep us in perfect peace if our mind is stayed on him. And I will just use myself as an example. If, if I am not having my mind clearly on God and in his word, one, I don't have peace. Two, I have such turmoil on the inside of me and the, the words that come out of my mouth, the words that I'm dwelling and stewing on are completely twisted off the truth of God's word. And so, yes, we can misunderstand things and not understand God's true nature and think that God's out to get us or whatever it might be. And we, we could even fear that we're losing our salvation because of our emotional and psychological and everything struggle. But the main thing I think that that really underlies all of Andrew's teaching, all of Dave's teaching and mine is knowing who we are in Christ, knowing who God truly is, his true nature, what Jesus truly did for us and having that relationship with God. That is the only thing that has kept me through a lot of things that have gone on in Dave's and mine's life. And when I'm not walking with the Lord, when I'm not seeking him first, I can twist a lot of things and am confused of a lot of things. And whatever salvation and perfectness in my spirit because of salvation, because I do believe that Jesus went to the cross for me and that he died and was buried and rose again, that my spirit 100% truly believes and I am 100% saved in my spirit. But my mind, which needs to be renewed all the time, is messed up because of what I see in the natural, what my body's telling me, what society, the world is telling me, this, that, and the other thing is telling me. And I, and I get you're probably wondering, what the heck is she talking about when we're talking about, can you lose your salvation? But the, but the thing that we need to remember, again, is that relationship with God. You know, Andrew's talking about the, the two options, A or B. Can you lose your salvation or are you always saved? Are you saved, lost, saved, lost? A lot of the stuff in our mind that is confusing us is because we're not renewing our mind. And so when we think we're saved, we're lost, we're saved, we're lost, our mind hasn't lined up to the Word of God because we have, for whatever reason, life itself has distracted us from that relationship with God and remembering and knowing by his word and renewing our minds that I am saved. Even if I fall on my face, even if I fall in the mud and, and sin or do something stupid, which we can all do something stupid, God still picks us up out of that mud and washes us off and says, I love you. He doesn't focus on our mess up, our hang up, our sin. What the heck are you doing, Sherry? Why'd you do that? You know, you just messed up. You just sinned. You just, how stupid are you? That's not God. God's bring, trying to let us make our decisions and our choices. But it's our constant relationship with him you know, in, in a, a marriage or even if you have kids, you don't just ignore the other person. You don't just ignore your kids and, and hope they, they grow up okay. You know, 
uh, I got the privilege of babysitting my nephew the first two years of his life. And, you know, you, you, you take care of the, the, the child, you, you feed him, you, you change his diaper, you make sure he has his naps, you know, you, you introduce him to, to life and the world, you read stories to him, you take him on walks, you know, you, you play games, you, you know, you show him colors, show him God's creation. You don't just put him in a corner and say, well, there you go. You know, Dave and I didn't just get married and then he does his thing and I do my thing. You know, we live life together and that's, you know, we're having a relationship together. But th but that's God. You don't just say, okay, God, I believe and then go your own way. You constantly feed that relationship. Talk to God. He talks to you. Get in his word. Get in his word. Because that's the only way you, you can get through life. I, I feel like I could go on and I need to redirect it back to Andrew's topic. And, and I'm sorry if any of you are confused about how my mind worked on this subject. But it all, to me, goes back to we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because of Jesus taking our sin on him so that we would become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You know, it, it, it all boils down to what, what he did for us and us renewing our mind to that fact. You know, when we're talking about, again, the security of the believer, first of all, we, we on one side of fence, we need to we need to have an assurance that we're saved. I've met so many people on this subject on the on a certain uh, side of it, especially those that believe they can lose their salvation, are never assured whether they're saved or not. They never know. That's not good. That's not healthy. You can know, and you should know. At the same point in time, I like how Andrew says that the the the, the answer that harmonizes both sides is the free will man. You were not forced to get saved, and you you got saved on your own free will. And God doesn't force you to stay saved. That's true too. You need to have an assurance of your salvation, but you also got to know that you weren't forced to be saved and you're not forced to stay saved. If you want out, you can get out. Uh, you know, and uh, I don't know why you would want to, but you're not forced. That's not bondage. It's called, you know, we're, we're the, we're, the Bible talks about this in Galatians 4. We're sons of the free woman. We're free. We're not in bondage. We're not slaves. We might be bond servants. We might choose ourselves to be a bond servant, but we're not slaves against our will. And then he goes on to say in the next paragraph, one of the script, one of the scriptures in, is in Hebrews six, where because there's another passage that talks about this too. But in Hebrews six, where it says that those who who have done certain things, and we're going to go over those certain things, if they fall away, it's it's impossible for them to renew again to the repentance. So, and we need to know that we're saved. We need to know that our, our, our salvation is secure. At the same point in time, we're not forced to be saved. And we're not forced to stay saved. We can't get out. But you can't lose it easily. You can't, it's not that fragile. You know, you weren't forced to, to, to be saved and you're not forced to stay saved. It's not fragile. But you can make a conscious decision. As a mature believer, we're going to get in just a moment to fall, to reject the salvation. It's not something you lose. It's not something. Whoops! That I lost that. It's gone now. No, 
it's it's something that you make a conscious decision towards, and we're gonna get in that in just a moment. So uh, I want uh, there's a lot of good rabbit trails we can get on, and they're all very good. But we I want to make sure that we address the subject uh, that needs to be addressed here. And so let's go ahead and pick it up back up. I believe we're under how sin can lead to hell. So so we're gonna answer this a little bit more specifically, uh, and then uh, before we get to the the ultimate answer that I want to get to. This next point is important because if you don't pay close attention, you will miss everything I've been teaching. If you think you have to maintain a certain level of exterior exterior holiness to maintain your salvation, and if you don't, you're going to go to hell, then you'll come right back under the bondage of the Old Testament law, having to perform to earn the blessings of God, and it will torment you. You'll become your own savior again, trying to receive things from God based on how good you are instead of what Jesus has done for you. You need to recognize that both salvation and living the Christian life are totally a work of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. We are going to stand before God someday, and if he asks us what we've done to justify getting into heaven, we can only point to our dependence on the blood of Jesus Christ not to our church attendance, our tithing records, or anything else. But we still need to live holy lives because we don't want to give Satan any power over us. The most devastating result from habitual sin is the spiritual hardening of our hearts. If we go out and openly live in sin, our hearts will become hardened to the Holy Spirit and to God's Word. Take heed there. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Hebrews 3, 12-14 Sin is deceitful and will harden people's hearts toward God and other people. And the Word of God tells us it is possible for people to harden their hearts through sin to the point that they no longer care about Jesus and salvation. Just as God does not make people get saved, He does not make people stay saved. It is not possible to lose our salvation, but we could give it up if we become deceived and hardened enough. For example, let's discuss the sin of not going to church. The reason we go to church is not because God is keeping attendance and will only bless us if we go to church. We go to church to be around people who are going to build us up. If we are sitting home watching television, we aren't going to hear the kinds of things we need to, and our hearts are going to slowly become hardened to the things of God. When our hearts, through the deceitfulness of sin, become hardened, we become dull and insensitive to the leading of God. We start straying further and further away from Him and His protection. Obeying His word and the leading of the Holy Spirit would no longer be important. Any particular kind of sin or combination of sins can harden our hearts. If people continue to practice sin, they will be lured deeper and deeper into that sin, and their desire to seek and know God will become less and less. Also, the pleasure that sin offers will get a stronger grip on them, making it harder to give it up. In extreme cases, people could be so deceived by sin 
that if they finally reject all conviction of the Holy Spirit and tell Jesus to get out of their lives, that is a very serious but possible result for believers who willfully live in sin. Ultimately, it is possible for believers to harden themselves to such a degree that their consciences are seared. They no longer perceive what they are doing in the proper light. They even think their sin is all right. They're entrapped in sin, and Satan begins to tempt them to renounce their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Their sin won't send them to hell, but their sin will put them in a place where they are so far removed from fellowship with God that they will be more responsive to Satan than they are to God. When this occurs, it's possible they could say, I renounce all this salvation stuff. Jesus, get out of my life. Stop bothering me. Because they reject the salvation through Jesus Christ, they go to hell. The sin didn't make God send them to hell. They threw their salvation away and rejected it of their own free will. If they do that, the Bible clearly states it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. We are eternally redeemed. We are secure as long as we want to be secure, but we can't go to sleep spiritually. We can't afford to flirt with sin and live in sin because I guarantee Satan will put us in compromising situations. If you've been living in sin and you've sold yourself out to sin, it's very possible that you won't be able to draw on the spiritual reserves it takes to lay down your life for the Lord. If someone put a gun to your head and said, renounce Jesus or I'll kill you, you would probably reject the Lord to save your own life. Why? Because right now you are rejecting Jesus for your sin. Maybe you want wealth or sex or drugs so much you just shove Jesus aside again and again. Eventually, you could renounce the Lord altogether. Sometimes people are so short-sighted they don't see hell coming. People have done just what I've described. A minister I will call Mark was known to be a great faith healer. I have met people who were healed in a miraculous way through his ministry. The son of a friend of mine knew Mark personally and said that he believed Mark was born again, had a real calling on his life, and moved in the supernatural gifts of the Spirit. But because of the wealth, fame, and prestige he could get, Mark turned away from God and renounced him for what he could gain in the flesh. He talked about how he now didn't believe there was a God. If this is true, Mark would be an example of a person who renounced his faith and became reprobate. Thank God that's a rare occurrence. Okay, thank you. Now, the next section we're going to get into some specifics. And this is really, I really, it all comes together for me. But let me just piggyback on the last phrase that Andrew said. This is a rare occasion. I believe someone becoming a reprobate is rare. But it can happen and it has happened. Okay. Now, again, sin is not how we lose our salvation. But if we live a life of sin, it will harden our heart. In other words... If we live a life of sin, we're going down the road to become a reprobate. We can, we are headed, we are on that road. And the, the more deeper we get in that road, our hearts can turn away to a point where we renounce our salvation. Sin is still deadly. Sin is not a good good thing. Uh, sin is still will still cost you more than you you want to give. Um,
Uh, there's something I would like to piggyback on towards the beginning. Um, you know, uh, again, go, I mean, not, this wasn't what it, what it was, but, uh, you know, there's different sins. You know, not going to church. If you're not going to church, you're not hanging around the believers, then you're not going to be encouraged. And, and, and you can be influenced by something else that, that turns your hearts away from God. And as you start sinning and you stop uh, associating with the church and stop reading your Bible and stop doing other things, your heart is called a slow fade. And you again, you're going down that road to become a reprobate. I'm not saying you're a reprobate yet, but you're heading down that road. And, you know, sin will harden your heart. Not having a relationship with God will harden your heart. Uh, you know, and there's different, different variations of hardening your heart. One of the variations of hardening your heart, and Andrew talks about this too, but... It, you can harden your heart where you don't, you're not believing God for miracles, where you're not believing God for deliverance. And that, that's where Jesus he taught his disciples that they had a hardened heart. Now, just because disciples had a hardened heart, they hadn't renounced to Jesus that they were following. <laughs> that's an oxymoron. And Jesus said the disciples had a hardened heart. But they were following Jesus. They didn't renounce him. <laughs> There's a difference. They had hardened their heart. God had just fed the five thousand. He fed the four thousand, and 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 uh, and they were questioning him about some other miracles, about uh, calming the sea and the storm and whatnot. And and G they were asking Jesus why they couldn't do it, and he says because your hearts were hardened. <laughs> and they, they they were hardened to be to believe in the miraculous. They were hardened to believe uh, that God could that, that God could do this not only. God did this through Jesus, but God can do this through you. And so there's a different variations of hardening your heart. Sin will also harden your heart. Not going to church will begin to harden your heart. Your heart will become callous. You know, uh, uh, I mean, different variations I know even in my own life. When I, I, I'm always in the Word. I'm always spending time with God. But there's been seasons in my life where this was just on the shelf. And I have always gone to church, and that has always been part of my, my diet. But just because I've always gone to church, my heart hasn't always been in it. <laughs> Sometimes I'm going to going through the motions. Sometimes even as a pastor, I've gone through the motions. I don't know if that's really been the case with this church, but there's been times with, in the past where I'm just going through, and I just I feel like I'm just coasting. I'm just uh, drifting at sea, you know, and I'm not uh, intentional about anything. I've been there where you just lose your motivation. And now we've been there. We've both been there about on a certain day or week or, or once in a while in certain levels. But you know, if we continue down that road, <laughs> and if we if we didn't have a diet of the Word, a relationship with God, the body of Christ, and different things, that could be dangerous to stay in that type of mindset. Uh, but we have things that to, in a sense, shock us out of that mindset and get us back onto the right track. But sin, and there's and there's different kinds of sin. <laughs> I mean, sin, sin. I get that. I'm not. That's when I'm not, I'm not challenging. But there's sins of omission and there's sins of commissions. There's things that we do is wrong, and with there's things that we don't do that are right. Going to church is right. Going to buy, uh, being in the Word is right. Spending time with God and relationship is right. But if we don't do that, it will harden our hearts. Anything that's not a faith is sin. Uh, so anything that we're doing on our own strength, you know, we got to be careful that you know we're not. Our salvation is not based on us. Our salvation is based on Him. And if we start putting our faith in what we're doing, 
our hearts can become hardened. There's a lot of things that can harden our hearts that are really sin. They're, they're, they're not a faith. They're, they're not, what's faith? Faith is trusting God. You can have your faith in you. You can have your faith in your pastor. Or you can have your faith in God. And anything that's not a faith is sin. And so I'm not teaching about sin right now, and I'm not even teaching about faith so much. But, if you know, where does faith come from? The Word of God. So if you're not spending time in the Word, you don't, you're not going to have faith. You're not going to spend time in the church and, and being pastored and taught. Your, your faith, is you're not going to be walking. It's a walk of faith. It's a walk with God. It's a, it's a, and so uh, it's not just, a, we're not converts, we're disciples. It's a walk. It's a relationship. But there are certain things that can dull that relationship. Just like any other relationship. We stop spending time together. Our relationship will become dull. You know, it's just the way it is. You know, there's some friendships we've had, and someone moves away, or they get busy, another job, something happens, they change churches, or whatever the case may be, and you stop seeing them, and that friendship just became dull. And I'm not saying that the friendship itself was dull when it was there, but but it's it's, it's non-existent now. And uh, and so, you know, I mean, there might be a season season where you you're always thinking about that person. And then you stop seeing each other after, over a course of time, and you don't even think about that person. You just don't think about that person at all. And it's not like that person is bad, but you just stop associating with that person, and it just becomes dull. That And so we can become that way towards God. And especially in the climate and the, and the culture that we live in today, if you don't have a relationship with God, if you don't have a good church and a good pastor and a good, a good diet of God's Word, there's a there's enough garbage in our world that will dull your heart and become insensitive. And you can eventually go down the road because there's so many evil schools of thought now that you go down the round the road and become a reprobate a lot easier than you could, I believe, before. And if you, we need to associate. And I know we have COVID and different things, but there are innovative ways where we can still connect. It might not be all the same. But if the underground church can connect and thrive, we can thrive. And so uh, we're not that bad. And so we might be going in that direction in some ways, but we're not that bad yet. Not in this culture and not in this climate. But, we're, but even then, if you want something, you'll find a way to get it. <laughs> you know, if you ask some teenager, you tell them, no, they're going to find a way to get that thing uh, that they want. And so uh, anyway, my point is that there's things that can dull your heart and you can lead towards becoming a reprobate. It, in other words, it's not, in one sense, it's not easy to become a reprobate. It takes time to, to dull your heart so hard that you become a reprobate. But what what's the atmosphere? What's the, what's the environment for a reprobate mind? Sin. Uh, not going to church. Uh, not reading your Bible. Not having good fellowship, which has to do with church. Uh, you know, all these things lead up because anything that's not a faith is sin. Anything that can dull your heart from living a life of faith it is something is a the path of sin. And so you <coughs> stop having a relationship with God through the Word and through His church. It will dull your heart, and it can lead to and what if God's not feeding your heart? Something else is. If God's not the school of thought that you dwell on all the time, if it's not the most dominant... Now, I understand we work sometimes... Some, some of us work very demanding jobs, and we got a lot of information going because that's our job. 
And I get that. But that's all the more why we need to have an ayah. And that might not be your school of choice because that's your job. Or, but you need to have a time where in your own time, when you, you can choose what you listen to in the car, when you can choose what you listen to on the radio and on, and, and on, on, the, on, the, on the TV, if you can, you can choose when, when the most dominant thing in your, your, your thought, in your mind, needs to be the things of God. He will keep a perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusts in him. That trust is to do with faith. Anyone that's not trusting or not faith is sin. And how do you get there? Because you keep your mind stayed on him. How do you keep your mind stayed on him? Being in the word, having good fellowship, having a, there's different things that we have that help us. Our trust is not in the church. Our trust is not in one another. And although we I'm not talking about our marriage, but in life, our trust is in God. And, and that has to be our number one influence. But the church, the body of Christ, the word of God can help us maintain that relationship with God. So it's fresh. It doesn't become dull. And so we don't go down the path of becoming a reprobate. Becoming a reprobate or not, not going to hell is not the goal. Obviously, none of us want to go to hell. And obviously, not, we want to live godly lives. But that's not the goal. The goal is a relationship with God. And when we get our eyes off the goal, which is the relationship with God, then we're leading toward the life of sin. And if we stay there long enough, we can become so hardened that we hate God. That's what a reprobate is, and we're going to get into that just now. But a, a reprobate hates God. There's a, such a hatred. I mean, there's something, there's something you can say, I love this, I hate that, and it's kind of it's just, uh, uh, you know, uh, but then there's some things that you just absolutely hate. I mean... Some people, I, I can be a picky eater. And there's some things I don't like because I just don't really care for them. And then there's some foods, I, I, I don't like them. Well, the, the, then the people say, you don't know until you try it. I've tried it and I don't like it. I didn't like it then, I don't like it now. You know, it kind of reminds me of <laughs> I uh, green, green, green eggs and ham, you know. I don't like it, Sam, I am, you know. And it's not, and, and there's some things that I can tolerate and then there's some things, I don't like them. You know, some of you might think I'm weird, and I think you're weird. You know, but at that point in time, my, my, my point is, I'm not talking about food, and that's just my example, is that uh, there's some things that we, we don't like, and there's some things that we hate. And some people have become such a reprobate because they don't have, they disconnect with God, and there's different ways that got them on that path. Some of them became so offended at God that they separated from God, the fence got him on that path, but it be but that path was being separated from God and being influenced by other things that they finally became a reprobate, that they hated God. It might have started started there, and usually they didn't become a reprobate over my, overnight. It there was a path that they got on, or better way of saying there was a path they got off of, and so and so you might not. I don't think anyone starts immediately as a reprobate. You have to get there. Uh, and so that's what we're talking about a little bit in this chapter. You have something you want to comment on? Uh, no, I just thought you said that very well. Okay, so now we're going to get into the next section, which is titled... Conditions for Missing Heaven. So this is, here we're going to get into some specifics. Okay. Someone may be saying... Brother Andrew, I can't accept what you're saying, because if that is true, then I have rejected the Lord. 
One time after I was born again, I became tired of the whole thing and renounced it and turned my back on the Lord and went back into sin. You're saying it's impossible for me to repent, but I know I repented and I know God accepted me. For a complete perspective on a situation like this, Hebrews 6, 4, and 5 has some qualifications. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. Not every person can reject Jesus and become a reprobate. Certain criteria must be met. These scriptures say that first people have to be been enlightened. I believe that describes those who have had God reveal himself to them. Tasted of the heavenly gift is talking about the gift of salvation. Being made partakers of the Holy Ghost refers to people who have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and spoken in tongues. Have tasted the good word of God means people who start growing and maturing in the word who had revelation knowledge of the word of God. Tasting of the word Tasting the powers of the world to come refers to the supernatural manifestations of the gifts of the Holy Ghost. This passage is talking about mature Christians. Only mature Christians who understand what they are doing can fall away or choose to renounce Jesus Christ and his gift of salvation. For example, if one of my children had gotten mad at me when he was young and said, I don't like you anymore. I'm tired of being your kid. I'm not going to be a Walmack anymore. I renounce you and I'm going to be somebody else. I'm going to run away from home. I wouldn't have allowed him to do that because he couldn't really understand what he was doing. And the law would have backed me up because he was just a child. My children couldn't legally renounce me and sever ties with me when they were minors. But if they are 30 years old, they can change their names, renounce me, and file an injunction so I could never see them. And the law would back them up. There comes a place of maturity where they would be able, of their own free will, to sever our relationship. When they are grown, my children can't change the fact that they were begotten of me, but they can certainly change any future relationship with me. They have a free will to do it. And they have entered a place of maturity where it's legally possible. They understand what they're doing. I ran away from home when I was eight years old. Even though I was only three blocks away, I thought my parents were never going to catch me. Although I was already wanting to go back home, I couldn't humble myself and let them know it. So I caught myself on a barbed wire fence and I was waiting for them to come get me. I changed my mind within two or three minutes after I left home. I didn't really mean it. I didn't really know what I was doing. Some people never matured much in the Lord, and because of that, they got frustrated, quit living for God, maybe went back into sin, and did all kinds of things. But they had not reached the place where they were knowledgeable enough in the things of God for Him to hold them fully responsible. Therefore, they were able to turn, repent, and come back to the Lord. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Romans 1.28 This scripture talks about being a reprobate, which is a Bible term for a person who has refused or renounced his or her salvation and now has no desire to get it back. According to scripture, these people didn't want to retain God in their minds, so God gave them over to a reprobate mind. 
It is as though they no longer have any conviction or conscience. Jesus said, No man can come unto him except the Father draw him. John 6, 44. So God just quit drawing them. God quits dealing with them because they have rejected him out of their lives. People who are truly reprobate have no more conviction or conscience. They know they are going to hell and they don't care. They are no longer convicted. There is no longer any repentance in them. There is no longer any remorse in them. They are miserable and have become so hardened that they no longer retain God in their knowledge at all. So people who have committed that, what Hebrews 6 is talking about, are not concerned about their reprobate status. They no longer care about God, Jesus, or salvation. Someone may be thinking, Brother, have I ever done that? Have I sinned against God to that extent? Have I renounced my salvation? Am I reprobate? You can know you are not lost and without hope simply because you care whether you are or not. If you are still being convicted by God, if you still have a desire to repent and come back to God, if there is any drawing in your heart toward God, then you are not reprobate and you have not committed that unpardonable sin of rejecting Jesus and your salvation. But I am addressing this because it is possible. There are scriptures that deal with renouncing one's salvation, but it is never something that could happen by mistake or accident. And it is never something that happens because of a particular sin. Again, if a sin could cause us to lose our salvation, which sin would it be? You weren't forced to get saved, and you're not forced to stay saved. You have to maintain and hold fast your profession of faith without wavering. And as a mature believer, if you ever renounce your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can throw salvation away. You cannot be robbed of your salvation, but you can willfully give it away. Okay, thank you, Sherry. So anyway, um, here's some uh, list of, uh, I forget how many things here. I think there's five things that are listed here in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. And all five of these speak of a mature Christian. You know, just like a child, and he uses the example of a child getting mad at mom and dad, wanting to run away, and wanting to denounce the family. A little toddler doing that, uh, you know, the, the, the police would back it up. I'm not talking about abuse. I'm just talking about them getting mad at mom and dad, and they just wanted to renounce the family. But you change, the, you change it up, and you have a 30-year-old, not a 3-year-old. You have a 30-year-old wanting to renounce the family, and someone can do that. Someone can get an injunction. Someone can change their name. Uh, and different things, and so they can announce the family, and the law would back them up. Okay, so one's mature, one is immature. You know, you can't just lose your salvation. You can't just uh, by accident or by mistake. These there's five things that are listed here of a mature believer, and let's let's go through them real quick. It says the first one is that they tasted of the heavenly good. We're just talking about well. The, you said good. Heavenly gift. Yeah, okay. The taste of the heavenly gift. This is talking about the gift of salvation. They've been made partakers of the Holy Ghost. This is talking about someone who's been filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the with the unspoken in tongues. It's talking about and then it says, have tasted the good word of God. This is about someone who's been been, been matured, is growing and being matured by the word of God. And then it talks about uh, who have 
knowledge of the Word of God, the temptation of the, the powers of the world to come, refers to a supernatural manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Ghost. Again, all four of these things, or actually, I think it was just four, I thought it was five, but there's four or five things here listed here that I'm talking about someone who's mature. Someone who is a mature Christian sitting under the Word, filled with the Holy Spirit, operating in the gifts of the Spirit. This is someone who's a mature believer. This is not a newbie. This is not a new believer. Um, but it also goes on, you know, uh, sorry, I just lost my, my train of thought all of a sudden. But another thing, too, is that they've become such a reprobate. Again, I, I like I like that term reprobate that he brings out of from Romans chapter 1, verse 28. Yeah, this is good to talk about the reprobate, which is a Bible term for a person who has refused or renounced his or her salvation and now has no desire to get it back. According to Scripture, those people didn't want to retain God in their minds, to get, so God gave them over to a reprobate mind. It is as though they no longer have any conviction or conscience. They have no conviction. They have no conscience. There's no. And there's some other scriptures uh, Andrew brought out from John. Uh, God's not drawing them anymore. They have a reprobate mind. Uh, you know, if you're wondering, did I, have, I, have I committed unpardonable sin? Am I a reprobate? Did I do this? If you are even the fact that you are even questioning that tells me you're not. See, a reprobate would know, and a reprobate would be so would would, would do it with such a passion, with such a with such a conviction, um, uh, with such a uh, uh, they would know they don't, they don't want anything to do with God. There is no conviction. There is no there is no uh, um, conscience that they have. They are hate God so much with such a passion. They're not questioning whether they, they, they are a reprobate. They chose to be a reprobate, and they're proud of it. In a very negative and evil way, they're very proud of being it. See, someone who's a reprobate, they know. There is no question about it. There, there is no... But the fact that you are being convicted, convicted on something... See... Uh, most of us who came and fathom this because we're still being convicted by the Holy Spirit when we do things wrong. See, a reprobate was, was not going to be convicted anymore. That is, it's, it's a very bad, dark place to be. Um, and so, anyway, uh, uh, I just hopefully this answers some questions or whatnot. And again, there's something he said a while back. This is a rare occasion. Can someone renounce their salvation? Absolutely. You are not forced to get saved. You're not forced to stay saved. But this is something that a mature Christian has to do. Uh, someone who's a newbie, someone who's a taller Christian, someone who doesn't know what they're doing, uh, that, that's not a reprobate. Anyone can say some bad things when they're angry in the moment. We've said things when we're angry in the moment. As shameful as they are, as bad as they are, we've all said things and done things when we're in the moment. That doesn't make it right. But there's a difference between, uh, you know, you, uh, in the moment, and you are intentionally mad and angry and hate that person. And there's such a, uh, you know, there's some people that, that we just watched a movie the other night from uh, Mr. Rogers. And Lloyd, I think it was his name. He has such a hatred towards his dad. Uh, I can't remember all the reasons why. 
But he had such a bitterness towards his dad. It was evident. It was evident to everyone around him. Thankfully, he came around forgiving his dad, and, and things got better. But at the same point in time, you know, some people have such a hatred. It's so obvious, you know. And so that is uh, more closely to a reprobate. And so, uh, but this is towards God. And this is someone who has so renounced their salvation, they want nothing to do with God. And you see, they're living such a life of sin. It's so blatant, open. They, I mean, there's no question whether that. When he, so if, you, if you met someone with a reprobate, you'll know. I mean, there's no question that it's just so obvious. But if you're questioning, if you're wondering, did I do something? If I did, I commit a, a part of a sin, did I renounce it? If you're even questioning that, then the, you just answered your own question. No, you're not. Because that's not a reprobate. That's not someone who's renounced for salvation. That's not someone who it has no conviction. So, anything you want to add to that? No. Um, this this is a serious and uh, tender topic to uh, talk about. Um, and again, if you have any questions or need clarification, please reach out. Uh, you can do it via Facebook or even Messenger or go on our website to uh, do it privately so just for more clarification. Uh, but again, this, this whole study of Andrew's true nature of God is to get us to understand, obviously, God's true nature. This isn't to uh, condemn anyone. It's not to uh, get on anyone it's just to get our minds to to think on, on on things we should be thinking about, not on oh my gosh, are you a reprobate? But look what Jesus Christ did for you. You know what? Look what God's mercy and love does, and what He wants uh, for you. He wants the best for you. But in our order to understand this we need to go back and understand who God truly is and his nature and um, to to maybe help some of this I encourage you to listen to Dave's uh, Sunday morning series that he's been on about the seven redemptive names of God because they're really helping me understand God's true nature and the difference between what it seems like the difference of the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New when it's really the one same God. Um, he made a point today that really turned the light bulb on that, you know, the Old Testament, God handled things a lot differently because Jesus had not gone to the cross yet. And that, that like blew me out of the water to understand some of the things, why uh, God seemed different or handled things different. It wasn't that he was a different God. He still acted in love and mercy and truth. Um, he's not soft on sin. But until Jesus went to the cross, you know, there were certain uh, ways of doing things. And uh, G Jesus at the cross like Dave uh, very uh, eloquently says, he took all the wrath of God on him at the cross and sacrificed himself willingly, took all of our sin on him so that we would become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that we would 
be able to have right relationship with God. You know, that we would have all the benefits and uh, inheritance of being a child of God. That we would know how to live this life. Uh, that we'd have everything that pertains to life and godliness to help us live this life. Uh, there's just so much for it, but we don't, we won't understand that if we're hung up on, does God really love me? What is God's true nature? Is he just a mean God who's out to get me? Uh, versus a, a God who lives by his word and is faithful. And um, there's just so much more to, to this study. Uh, so I hope you uh, uh, join us next week. And again, uh, on Wednesday, uh, the, the, the new you and the Holy Spirit. 7 p.m. Uh, yeah, 7 p.m. And, and then again on Sunday mornings, you know, it's, it's just a God thing how all of this ties in together and each one helps you understand uh, each of the other studies. Um, so continue to join us. We're praying for you. We love you. All right. Well, I think you wrapped up very good. So anyway, we'll see you on Wednesday at 7. Next Sunday at 11.15 a.m. And then we'll go from there. So anyway, God bless you guys. Have a great week. God bless America. And God we trust. Amen.